ECDC On Air. The podcast of the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control. Keeping up to date with European epidemiology. Hello, welcome and thanks for tuning in to the European Centre for Disease Prevention and Control audio series, ECDC On Air. I'm your host, Lee, recording from my headquarters in Stockholm, Sweden. On today's episode, we will be discussing mathematical modelling at ECDC, particularly how it works, what it involves, and how it can impact public health. If you're like myself and don't consider yourself a mathematician, don't worry. René Nihus, one of ECDC's experts in modelling, is here to help shed light on the subject. So we're here with René Nihus, uh, an expert in mathematical modeling here at ECDC. René, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So firstly, what is your background and how long have you been here at ECDC? Right. So I came to ECDC about a year ago. So speaking pandemic terms, that was roughly around when Delta took over as a variant. And I came here as a mathematical modeler. um, And I was a mathematical modeler before working at different universities and uh, working on different topics really. I was in Boston at the Harvard School of Public Health working both on COVID and on the gut microbiome. Before that I was living in New York City and I worked at the Memorial Sloan Kettering. Um, also focusing on uh, gut microbiome questions. Prior to that I lived in Southeast Asia doing mathematical modeling work in Laos and there the questions were very much focused on public health questions around antimicrobial resistance and the questions of how antimicrobial use um, affects antimicrobial resistance in the, the population. Yeah, I would say this is me in a nutshell. Perfect. Okay. Just to clarify something, when you work in mathematical modeling in the health sector, do you have a background in medicine as well? Or how does that work? How does one become a mathematical modeler? This is a great question. And I think maybe the common denominator for modelers is that they would probably all answer this question quite differently. So in my case, my path of becoming a mathematical modeler started um, or didn't feel quite straightforward. I wanted to study medicine, physics and mathematics, and I ended up studying biomedicine and then went on into a PhD in systems biology and then did research in public health. And I would say you become a mathematical modeler, the more you combine quantitative tools from mathematics and statistics um, with the toolboxes from other disciplines. And this can be a vast diversity. So if I look at my colleagues, for instance, I have one colleague whose path started in physics, and then he did biophysics, and now he's doing um, public health together with me. And there's another colleague who did um, computer sciences, and then he studied outbreak of diseases in networks. And a third colleague of mine did medical sciences and then went on to health economics. And this diversity is really what is the common the commonality across um, modelers. And this diversity is really important for us because it gives um, us as a team very different perspectives. And when we are facing those diverse data streams and the many different questions that are coming at us in this pandemic, for example, but also other public health questions, it's key to have these different backgrounds and to be able to draw from the different tools that each of us are able to use. 
Okay, so what is your day-to-day work like? What do you do as a mathematical modeler? Are you sitting down writing equations or is it more technical than that? Yeah, that's a great question. And probably this writing down with pen and paper is maybe not what we do most of the time, but there's an element of that. So if I would try to um, name the tasks that I'm doing most first, then I think what I do the most is organizing and sitting in meetings. Um, that is with experts in ECDC and outside of ECDC, public health agencies, other modelers around the globe. There's a big element of writing emails, staying in touch through Zoom meetings, Teams meetings. Um, There's a lot of this right now with teleworking. And maybe then the third element is really what you've now named to sit down with pen and paper. (laughs) Um, But maybe more importantly, actually writing computer code. So most of our models are written in as computer code and this is what we're uh, running and producing this is not to say that the first two aspects of the meetings and the emails doesn't matter Um, i would say the opposite Um, we as modelers we combine a lot of data streams and talking to experts is probably one of the most important inputs and data streams in our models and then there's there's an element of communicating our models so writing them up presenting them to different stakeholders And this can at times be maybe one of the most challenging tasks. And um, finally, of course, staying up to date with the with the literature, with what is going on, what is the cutting edge research in terms of modeling and for this COVID pandemic, for example. You mentioned there that communicating these ideas of models can be quite difficult. Why is that difficult? Is it because the audience that you have is not as well versed as you are in terms of understanding the models or is it something else? I think there are at least two parts to it. First is is what you named, that we need to explain our models very clearly. We need to be very transparent and clear about our assumptions and, and need to go back to what other people know um, and maybe stay, take a step back from the technicalities of the model. Then there's another aspect that I, I find very important is that models can have very different purposes. And there are some models that make short-term, very accurate predictions, where it's a lot about the actual numbers being correct. And secondly, there might be models that go look further into the future, where it's not so much about the actual numbers being predicted, but those models help you to understand the factors and what they drive um, and how they drive the outcome. And I think really key for this communication is to prevent that people confuse the two purposes and read long-term models as if they were short-term accurate forecasts, which they are not. Okay. Well, that does nicely lead me on to my next question, which is how exactly does forecasting and modeling in general work? What goes into it? What are the sort of data points that you're looking at? And and what is actually being predicted in very simple terms? Yeah, I think just uh, related to the past question that you asked, there, there are these two versions of models. One is the short-term weather prediction type of models mm-hmm. um, where the main purpose really is to try to as accurately as possible capture the the next move of the pandemic for example and and there the accurate numbers are really important then there is a different kind of question and a set of questions that um, requires models to look further ahead in time and when one does this kind of modeling the action numbers matter much less and it's much more about um, different questions like what are the relative impacts of different interventions that are possible, what are potential um, plausible outcomes. And as an example, 
maybe we could take the the flu season. So we've had an unprecedentedly low flu season in the past two years due to this pandemic. So very important question is what does flu has in store for us next? Um, what can we expect? How can we prepare? And this is really a long-term question and there are a lot of unknowns. And I think for this, the things that models can answer is point at the questions and the factors that we need to know better. And to the question of what we are predicting, that, that really, again, depends on the question. For COVID, it's a lot about deaths and cases and hospitalizations of COVID. But it might be other factors that are relevant for society. It could be uh, numbers of interrupted school days or people being absent from work. Are there certain factors that are easier to predict than others? There certainly are, and that strongly depends on the background knowledge you have about those factors and or also the data streams that you have available. So for instance, for the COVID pandemic, death are certainly easier to predict than cases. And, and this is because when you um, predict deaths, they tend to be a lagged version of the cases. So observing the cases, you are somewhat uh, ahead of time with predicting deaths. While when predicting cases, there are many things that cases rely on that you can't directly observe. And that would be things like adherence of the population to um, restrictions or changing in testing behavior and many of those factors. Okay, but before we come on to COVID uh, specifically, um, ECDC produces a lot of models on, on different things. Could you give me some examples of some of the things that, that ECDC produces? Yeah, so, so we do a whole bunch of projects outside of COVID. And maybe to just name one or two, one important project that is going on is collecting data on contact behavior in people, which obviously is not just important for COVID, but for any disease that spreads through human to human contacts. So we have a team that sits in, in Belgium, and they're collecting data on these contacts between people with questions of contacts between adults and children, um, but also other behavior that is relevant to transmission. And they're doing the survey over time, which is very interesting, especially during these special times and in many of the different European countries, which is also very informative for us. And then there are other projects of modeling that are outside of COVID. There are some um, hepatitis B projects and projects on influenza and so on. ECDC has a forecasting hub uh, specifically for the COVID-19 pandemic uh, with support from the Center uh, for Mathematical Modeling of infectious diseases at the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. How did this model come about? Right. Yeah, I think this was a really important and great project from last year. And this project was initiated by funding from ECDC. It was run, as you said, by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine in London. That was at the time when the UK was still part of the European Union. And Really, the, this project started as part of ECDC's motivation to use modeling as an input for public health questions. It also reflects ECDC's belief in drawing conclusions from more than a single model. And it's also supporting ECDC's value of a European modeling community. 
I would say this is something that this hub really has achieved well and has really formed and created a European modeling community. Um, this hub is about combining many modeling efforts. So if we maybe wind back to the beginning of the pandemic, when maybe not so many people were talking about mathematical modeling yet, um, we all saw many different models appearing and making predictions. And inevitably, we've all seen predictions being quite accurate and others that were quite off the chart. And this is totally expected. And also there's a real value in having this diversity in models um, because you can learn about the factors that matter and the factors that don't. But really, ideally, one maybe wants to combine all these modeling efforts into one sort of super model and in a way take only the best bits of all the models that are out there. And there's actually a theory um, and a formal approach to this that has been used for decades already in weather forecasting, which is essentially taking a democratic approach of taking the different models that are developed independently and let them vote on the most likely outcome. So for example, the most likely count of cases in the next week. And this voting yields um, a so-called ensemble forecast. So essentially, um, asking multiple experts what they think is most likely, this gives you a really good guess of what might really happen. And there's actually some um, formal analysis, a lot of theory behind this that shows that these ensembles tend to outperform the individual models. And this is really what is behind this hub. So if you were to ask me, what is this model doing? Is it taking into account uh, mobility data? Is it taking into account change of behavior of people? I would have to say it's probably all of these things. There are some models that take into account Google mobility data. There are other models that are actually based on asking real experts, human experts, what they think is most likely to happen with the pandemic. And all of these are combined into this one ensemble model. With having so many models sort of converging into one or having an ensemble model, does it take into account how much the rules change around COVID? So for example, some countries are relaxing restrictions, some countries are not. Obviously, the rate of vaccination is different in, in other countries. Do, do the models, are they easy enough to adapt to take into account the sort of very fluid nature of the situation? Yeah, and I, I think this is a great question. And this is where maybe the European modeling community comes into play. So one part of this hub is that all the modelers are actually meeting in one virtual room currently uh, on Zoom every week, and they discuss the insights and the challenges. And I think there's a lot to learn when you discuss the challenges when modeling. And we encourage all these teams while they're submitting their forecast to create this ensemble to always go back to adjust their models and improve. I mean, we've seen this pandemic um, at the very start, we knew very little about this, this virus. And all of us, including the modeling community has learned a whole lot about this virus. Um, and really the this real-time evaluation is an integral part of this hub. So all teams, once they submit, they immediately get feedback a week later once reality catches up um, about the performance of their model, especially performance relative to other models, but also in terms of different matrices. How often do you go back and compare the reality with the predictions? Yeah, we do that all the time. It's, I would say, the bread and butter of what we do as modelers. And when we do modeling, there are a lot of these type of loops that are going on. So when we draft the first version of our model, 
we already have those meetings with experts and oftentimes we then already revise our model because we realize certain aspects might not be true or there are additional aspects that we haven't taken into account. And this would be one type of loop. And then once we have made predictions, once they are out there, there's this other type of larger loop where reality catches up and we go back to seeing if reality aligns with what we've predicted. And there's also a huge benefit of doing this whole exercise in the European Union where we have um, 30 different countries and there's a whole lot of variability and diversity across those countries. And it's very likely that some countries might lie more on the upper bound and some more on the lower bound of our predictions. And then we ask the question, um, why are we predicting too low for this country or too high for this country? And this is when we really learn about the factors that might be important and that we haven't accounted for, and this creates better models. Perfect. Okay, so my final question uh, for today is sort of in a way to sum up everything we've talked about, but how, how does mathematical modeling help support public health? Yeah, I really appreciate you bringing up this question because it's very central to our work. Mathematical modeling is, in the essence, it's a simplification of the reality. And so the analogy to mathematical modeling would be, for instance, to have animal models to test vaccines instead of doing it in real humans. So essentially creating something that is easier to manipulate and easier to understand. I think we all have seen in the past years um, the opinions around modeling swing both ways from models are the answer to all questions to models are wrong all the time and i think one gets around a lot of this discussion by being very clear about what models really are Um, they are one tool in the toolbox of public health and as such they're really useful for public health so what models do is they combine the diversity of data streams that we have, including experts' opinions, to make sense of these data streams and to give us an idea of what might happen next or the factors. And and here, the purpose of models will be quite different, as I mentioned earlier. So the purpose can be that we make predictions about what happens next and give a good idea about the the short-term trajectory. Um, But the purpose of modeling can also be not making accurate predictions, but in the long term, for for longer term questions, the purpose of models suddenly becomes to actually ask the right questions or clearly point at the factors that we really need to know about. Thinking of models as a tool really helps to appreciate models and use them the right way. Well, I think that clears quite a few things up for us. Thank you very much for your time, Rene. We really appreciate it. Thank you for having me. We hope this episode helps clear up what mathematical modeling is and how it is used at ECDC. You can find a link to the COVID-19 forecasting model in the notes. If you would like to know more about ECDC, please visit us on the web at ecdc.europa.eu or follow us on social media for the latest news.